Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 295. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is the lovely Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. You know, Valerie, I was thinking of changing our intro and saying, you know, listen to us to make you a smarter consumer about buying beauty products. I just couldn't think of a snappy way to say that. You know, I just don't know if it rolls off the tongue. You're right. We need a snappy way to word that together. But that's the whole idea. You listen to this show. Not only do you get answers to your questions, but it sort of makes you able to answer your own questions. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what we're trying to do here. Well, the way we're going to do that on today's show is by answering questions, including... What is our opinion about ghost oil for damaged hair? Is the Epil Free a good alternative to laser hair removal? Can any hair oil really make your hair grow? Are there any skincare brands that live up to their promises? And finally, we're going to talk about that Skin School Dupe Finder technology. Is it really finding you good products? Maybe we'll get schooled. (laughs) maybe we'll get schooled. Well, they are certainly schooling us on how to do an Instagram account because it's pretty good. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) But first, how about some of that inane chit-chat that we have? You know, Valerie, I was looking at your Instagram account, speaking of. Yeah. And I saw that you've read, what, four books this year already? Well, I've posted about four books this year. So far, I think I'm up to nine books. Uh, It helped that I had a bit of downtime on the couch for most of January. Uh, So I was able to read a bunch, but I like to get in a rhythm and post them so that they all appear in one column, but uh, I'm on nine. Do you read paper books or electronic books or audio books? These are paper books. These are not counting the audio books I'm listening to. Well, I do count audiobooks, and I'm up to 17 for the year. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. That's what, like two a week? Yeah, well, I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to read this Russian novel, The Gulag Archipelago. Which, <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm listening to it, but it's, you know, it's 110 hours long. Oh, so. my gosh. How long was it's, the Odyssey? Oh, uh, well, Ulysses, you mean. Ulysses, sorry, yeah. Ulysses was approximately 28 hours or so. And this one's 110. Yeah. It's, Is it fiction it's or long. nonfiction? It's kind of nonfiction-y. It's about the gulags of the Soviet Union. Oh, wow. So it's very timely, you know? Yeah. <laughs> timely. Oh, my gosh. So. Well, I like to read nonfiction as well, but I have a couple. Uh, we'll call them, uh, they're still in the nonfiction category, but, you know, a little, a little trashy uh, books coming up. Yeah. Sure. Well, I've peppered in some science fiction books and things. You know, I was thinking, do you do you do good Goodreads? I don't. I've I've thought about doing it and tracking them, but I just I use Instagram to track, uh, you know, what I've read. I guess. Well, I do my stuff all on Goodreads. So if any of you out there in Beauty Brains land want to follow what I'm reading uh, or what I have read, check out Goodreads. Uh, yeah. I I guess I'm the joggler, probably right. I should I should uh, consider tracking my books on there. Yeah. You should you should join, and then we can be friends. Oh, are we ready for some beauty science news? Let's head there. Well, something uh, that's been on the news this week, Perry, that I think both of us have been interested in is all this kerfluffle that Olaplex is going through, where people are alleging that their Olaplex number three is banned because of an ingredient that will cause infertility. And first of all, let's let's keep everything straight here. Olaplex is not banned. Uh, they are going through or have gone through a reformulation, just like many other brands. Probably yeah. almost every brand you know has had to reformulate this ingredient out. The trade name is Liliol, and the actual ingredient name that you would find on a bottle is butylphenol methylpropionyl, and this is a common fragrance allergen and it's been used in fragrance for decades and decades safely yeah and it has this really light floral note and what's so great about liliol is it kind of links everything in the fragrance together and lifts it up it has really good um, incredible bloom it's actually been very difficult to replace 
Uh, but all brands are reformulating it out of their products because some new data has come to light that has toxicologists worried. And so in a sense of precaution, uh, they have restricted the ingredient and the deadline to get them off shelves in Europe. This is a European regulation is March of 2022. Yeah. So this is probably why uh, the news is hitting the fan right now. Why do you think it's hitting Olaplex in particular? Because I didn't see this about products from Unilever or J&J or P&G or anybody. This is well, it's like I, right on Olaplex. Are they maggoty with Lilial? Or what's <laughs> well, no. I mean, I worked at a brand that honestly, almost the entire portfolio had it and we spent two and a half years formulating out. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's almost in everything or has been in everything. Um, I think because they're a hot brand, they have great products and a stylist probably flipped it over to the back of the bottle and said, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is in there and created a scare story out of it. Well, I suspect that it's, uh, Olaplex has a really, uh, they're very popular online and they have like a a big fervent following online. Yeah. And I think when you do that, you also create enemies <laughs> online, right? <laughs> yeah. Like all the brands that aren't that don't have that kind of create enemies. And so they're probably stoking the flames of this as like, oh, why didn't Olaplex get rid of this? Yeah, like a little seed that was planted, like, hey, check this out. Exactly. And you know, scare stories are so much more interesting or they get a lot more attention. Than safety stories. <laughs> yeah, we had a story like Oh, Olaplex is perfectly fine to use. <laughs> like nobody's gonna read that story, right? <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things that I want people to take away from this story, though, is that for, for well, first of all, I don't think that ingredient that 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 piece of the fragrance was in every single Olaplex products. You have to look in the back because it's a fragrance allergen, so. In the United States, you're not really required to list all your fragrance allergens, but if you're a international company and you sell products around the world, they just do. So all the big companies always will list these 26 allergens that the EU requires you to list. And it's one of those. So I think Olaplex, maybe they do, maybe they don't list them in the United States. I know they sell worldwide, so they probably just list it anyway. Yeah. Well, I do want to point something out. You're only required to list it in the EU if the allergen is above 0.01% in rinse-off applications and 0.001% in leave-on applications. So the allergen could technically still be present in a fragrance if it was used to build a fragrance character, uh, but it's just not required to be listed. So a lot of brands might even have it, but it's not listed and they're still reformulating out anyway. Right. It's, it's a tiny amount. But I do want to bring up the idea of how can you tell whether you should be worried about some new ingredient scare story in the news? Because people saw this and said, oh, infertility and it causes birth defects. Uh, I can't use Olaplex anymore. <laughs> well, the, the first thing you should think when you hear a story like this is first, it's it's mostly always an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. You know, you shouldn't panic. Beauty companies don't really have an interest in harming their consumers. And so a lot of times people will compare beauty companies to tobacco companies and say, well, tobacco companies, you know, knew their products were bad and they were, you know, they kept selling it anyway. I agree. The stuff that the tobacco companies did was terrible. There's some terrible stuff that pharmaceutical companies do. But the reason that tobacco companies are different than uh, cosmetic companies is that cigarettes are not a safe product like mm -hmm. you know if it if you could demonstrate the cigarettes are not safe then they have no product the tobacco companies have no product beauty products on the other hand they're safe so there's no reason to try to protect an unsafe ingredient and you find that in the beauty industry all the time in fact this is exactly a story of it there's no evidence that the linalool, what was it, linalool? Lilial. Lilial, which Lilial. is a trade name. You're not going to find yes. Lilial on your bottle. It would be butylphenol methylpropionyl. Right. Uh, the butylphenol. There's no, there's no evidence that uh, products with that in it actually cause this, this problem. This is out, out of an excessive uh, level of precaution that the EU follows what is called the precautionary principle, where it says that if an ingredient, if there's even a hint of a problem, so if we've, we've taken that ingredient and we've fed it to rats at a thousand times the level you'd ever be exposed to and it causes problems, 
that is enough to suggest let's just take it out. So that's the precautionary principle. We don't really have that in the United States. It's more like you have to demonstrate harm. But most of the cosmetic industry is going to follow whatever the EU regulates in, in the U.S. So if it's a multinational company, they're just going to do that. But the idea that you're you know, your cosmetic companies are going to use unsafe ingredients because it leads to bigger profits. That's just that's just a, a, a mistaken notion. And it's kind of a naive belief since ingredient costs are really not a huge part of the costs of making a beauty product. Or like when you buy, you know, an $80, you know, one ounce container of some beauty product, the cost of the raw materials in there is minuscule compared to the profit that they're taking. It's It has nothing to do with how much it costs to make. It's all about the branding, positioning, and profiting. Yeah. And, you know, we've known about this ban, or we'll call it a restriction, for a very long time. Um, you know, there was a lot of conversation about it. And the scientific body even said, hey, if you have evidence uh, that you'd like to present to defend this compound go ahead and present it. And, you know, it's very costly to do that. So the fragrance companies kind of said, nah, uh, we're just going to let it go and use some other stuff. So it's not like there was this smoking gun uh, where it needed to be restricted. Um, you know, if you're still concerned, uh, just avoid uh, in products where you see butylphenol methylpropionyl on the bottle. Uh, note that this is an EU restriction. It's not a United States restriction, um, but j just don't use the product. But I think I think you'll be fine for the meantime. No need to throw anything out. Which does make you wonder, like, how come the EU comes up with different safety regulations than the U.S.? We all have evidence for the same data, right? Yeah, well, I think I think we're just looking at different things at different times. Like maybe the CIR, the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board, hasn't gotten to this material. Or, you know, they are focusing on other things. They have a list of ingredients they're looking at in 2022. I, th I think it's just a matter of this. I think the EU probably gets bigger press because people think they're this... A really restrictive body that's more safe than the United States, but uh, believe it or not, there's actually things restricted in the U in the United States that the EU uses, um, and even like VOCs. You know, the EU they don't care how much VOCs you have in products. So, and we're much more restrictive with uh, sunscreen active ingredients. Exactly, in the EU. they got a whole ton other ones that, yeah. that we don't let people use here. Exactly. So, um, you know, I think it's just more of a, a publicity thing. It's and the view the view in which people look at the EU when it comes to safety. It does make me a little bit suspicious. Didn't L'Oreal have a patent dispute with them a couple of years ago? They did, yeah. They lost, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so. if you're worried about ingredients, the place to find out about them is not on like Refinery29. It's go to the CIR, which is the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board, or to the SCCS, which is the... Uh, the SCCS. Scientific for Committee for Consumer Safety. All right, that's the EU version yeah. of the CIR. And they look at ingredients and they tell you safe levels and what kind of has been studied. I know it's a little bit more challenging to read, but that's where the the real info is. And then finally, if you are really afraid of an ingredient, uh, just uh, don't buy that product. No, yep. no cosmetic product is necessary for a healthy life. And so uh, if that makes you feel better, but you know, avoiding cosmetics is probably not going to lead you to a healthier life anyway because you're probably still drinking wine every day so. <laughs> hey leave my wine alone uh, all right i think i saw a few celebrities have launched new products oh, we're just gosh. keeping track of them yeah we're just tracking them so two big launches this week the first one i i was not surprised at at all and in fact i thought what took her so long gwen stefani is launching a cosmetics line Wow, that's uh, she's that singer, right? Yeah, yeah, from um, No Doubt. She was uh, No Doubt. Yeah, right. married to Gavin Rossdale from the band Bush, and I, I think she was really known in the late '90s and early 2000s for her uh, stark, creative looks with the dark red lips. I mean, so dark on the red that the lips almost look black. Um, but yeah, definitely she's known for her pucker. Um, but the brand is called GXVE and it debuts, oh my gosh, March 3rd, right around the corner on her website and at Sephora on March uh, 7th. And the collection is pronounced give. So I guess the X is pronounced as an I. I don't know. And uh, 
bargainly price at twenty one dollars to forty one dollars each. Is that isn't that crazy that that's like the en- the entry price for prestige cosmetics uh, nowadays? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So Gwen had it. So who else had uh, who else had a okay? Launch? I don't think we could have ever predicted this in a hundred years. Idris no. Elba and his wife are launching a skincare line, and it is going to be based on. Um, genderless beauty and so wait a second is there any uh, I don't really know this uh, Elba but is there any uh, relation to Jessica Elba like no Elba with an E you've definitely seen him on television Uh, he was in that HBO series about drugs in Baltimore uh, in the 90s the wire yeah he was in there he was the bad guy who got killed in the warehouse at the end and i'm very sorry if you guys haven't watched spoiler oops sorry (laughs) i I ruined it you're 20 years too late Uh, anyway (laughs) uh, he also was in the office he was the new manager that took over for jan um in the series but you've definitely seen him he's actually british uh but him and his wife sabrina are starting sable labs which is a uh well-being brand that is just going to you know, go across all racial lines, gender lines, uh, background lines, and it's just going to be pretty much for everyone, and it's not going to be gender-focused, which is pretty cool. Interesting. Does that suggest that this brand is saying that there's no differences between skin needs? Well, I don't know if they're saying that, but I think it definitely raises the question to say, oh gosh, should everyone be using everything? But there are differences in skin. Uh, there's differences in hair. There's differences yeah. in gender. Um, there are differences. And I think, you know, we're just at the beginning of starting to understand in a, from a science community what those differences are and how to meet the needs. But, you know, would the consumer notice a difference? I can't answer that question, uh, but it definitely seems really cool what they're creating and their, their Instagram is very beautiful. Yeah. Well, this is it's interesting because they're kind of bucking the trend like in the beauty business. It's all about uh, smaller and smaller niches. Right. Yeah. So this is for this little group of people. And now they're saying, well, this is for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's pretty cool. So, uh, but one that was not expected. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on it. We've already had some other interesting ones this year. And there was one that I saw and I was like, oh, my God, I got to tell Perry about it. But um, I'll try to find it again, but man, just more and more celeb launches are not going away. <laughs> I, yeah, I wonder how well they're working. We'll see at the end of the year. All right, you ready for Recall Corner? Recall Corner. Recall me, recall me, recall me. Well, I was looking, we look at the recalls from the FDA about cosmetics so you don't have to. Because we're bored. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're in the bathroom. And, just... and I have a bookmark link to it. So so every month, the FDA publishes recalls. And I think it's important for people to get this because if you have this product, you'll want to turn it in and not use it. Here's a good reason not to use something because it's been recalled. Well, this is a glitter eyeshadow from the Almar sales company. Never heard of them. Well, they, they they had a run of like 5,000 products and they recalled it. It turns out the product contains an undeclared rhodamine B, which is a non-permitted color active or additive. This is a fluorescent dye, so they probably added it to make uh, you have glowy eyes. Yeah, you know, usually uh, if your cosmetics are fluorescent, including your hair color, uh, your liver is probably also <laughs> fluorescent as well. Uh, the f- fluorescent dyes are typically... Uh, not permitted for use in cosmetics, although some dyes uh, that are safe for use can uh, glow, but generally they're not. Uh, Perry, are you familiar with Rhodamine B? I am not familiar with Rhodamine B, although I did have a dog that named uh, Ruthenium, which... Uh, it's close. <laughs> has, uh, your next close. one can be uh, named Rhodamine, but anyway, <laughs> this dye is actually typically used in research, at least for hair. Uh, it's very good at penetrating uh, into hair, and so often scientists will use it as a marker to detect how damaged the hair is because it, it's right. fluorescent, right? So they can put it in their product. It will penetrate into the hair, and they can see how far uh, it goes in on different types of damaged hair. So bleached hair, it might penetrate further uh, than virgin healthy hair. It probably won't penetrate at all. So it's just a way to... Uh, to to help conduct research, but you would never use it in a in a commercial project um, or product, at least um, probably not since the eighties. <laughs> so. 
Well, so. somehow it got into the Almar glitter eyeshadow. And if you have any Almar glitter eyeshadow, probably don't use it and contact the company for a refund. Yeah, you know, this makes me wish, Perry, um, you know, there are published lists of how colorants are regulated. And All Your Red Publishing used to have two really good books that went through those details, but they're not in publication anymore, which is really sad. I I totally recommend for formulators to try to pick these texts up uh, where you can because they're such a useful tool. Uh, and very easy to know whether or not you're allowed to use something and what geography it's restricted in. Yeah, it turns out of all the chemicals regulated in the United States, colorants in cosmetics are one of the most regulated. There are specific ingredients you're allowed to use, and you can't use anything else. And you certainly can't use a uh, fluorescent rhodamine B. So, yeah. so, So don't do that. It's not cool. It's not legal. Well, bummer, uh, and I hope the company uh, gets that resolved very quickly and easily. Yeah. All right, we ready for some beauty questions? Yeah, let's head over. Our first question comes to us from a patron. This is from Patreon. Erica says, Hi, I recently started using this product, and so far it's living up to the hype. I have platinum blonde hair, So obviously it's damaged. Can you have platinum blonde hair that's not damaged? (laughs) No, you don't get to pick that. Nope. (laughs) Unless you're in Sweden. Well, sure. Well, I'd like your opinion on their star ingredient, Moringa oil, and if that's what's helping my hair be much softer and more manageable, or is it the other ingredients that are listed much higher up? Thanks. Valerie, uh, you are our hair color guru or expert here. Yeah. And you looked at the product. What do you think? Is it the Moringa oil that's making this ghost oil work? I actually have used uh, this product before, and it's an excellent um, silicone-based styling serum. And I always would kind of chuckle when I would see it back in the store because I thought ghosted is all right because there's probably not a whole lot of Moringa oil in here. Uh, Not only seeing how far down it is, but Moringa oil uh, can be, you know, a darker amber in color or, um, you know, a brown in color. Not super dark, but enough that if it were in at any appreciable level, the serum wouldn't be colorless, right? Sure, Uh, But silicones are great for hair, so that's probably why you're loving it um, so much. But if we want to focus on Moringa oil, uh, Moringa oil is a beautiful um, African oil that's high in uh, antioxidants and has a very, very nice lipid profile on it um, and can tend to be pretty, uh, pretty stable. It's a really, really beautiful oil and it's very affinitive uh, for the hair fiber and for skin as well. Um, I always thought it kind of went hand in hand with marula oil and how beneficial its properties were. Uh, but very, very good oil. I'm just not sure it's doing the work uh, in this particular formulation. Yeah, well, okay, you have the first degree cyclopentasiloxane, okay. Then there's dimethicanol, uh-huh. another silicone. Then caprylomethicone, another silicone. And uh-huh. then phenyltrimethicone. Okay, we're four silicones in before we get to any other oil. So... No, that I mean, this is a silicone. I mean, you could, you could stop after phenyltrimethicone. I think, not put any of the rest of the stuff in there, and probably get the same results. Yeah, but uh, you know, that aside, Perry, it, it's a really beautiful product, and sure, sure, it definitely works. These silicones work to make hair feel uh, really soft, manageable, and smooth. So, Erica, keep using it. Yeah, keep using it, but. It's the silicones. Wait, polysilicone 15? Dimethicone cross polymer? How many silicones can you put in one product? They're still missing a few, believe it or not. There's a lot of silicones on the market. There. Well, let's get to our first audio question of the day. Ooh. Hey, Valerie and Perry. On episode 291, you talked about products to slow hair growth. I've seen estheticians offering a service using products from EF Talk called Apple Free. They claim to be an alternative to laser hair removal and safe for all hair types and all skin types. What can you tell me about it? Is this something that maybe could work or is it a total joke? Can it maybe work or is it a total joke? Yeah. Um, Have you ever had laser hair removal, Perry, or know anything about it? Uh, No and a little. (laughs) Yeah. So I've had it actually um, on my underarms and I, but not on your uh, blonde mustache. My (laughs) mustache. 
We talked about this earlier, guys. Perry's not oh, being offensive. Right. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, so I was explaining to Perry earlier, it's really interesting, and I wish I knew more about the mechanisms, and that's something uh, Perry and I could probably totally work on for our book. But um, it seems to go after pigmented hair that has a degree of separation from the skin, meaning if you have darker hair and lighter skin, laser hair removal works really well to target these melanin-rich um, hair fibers all the way down to the hair follicle and it will prevent hair from growing back and you get repeated insult um, to the fi- um, follicle and eventually the hair just stops coming in. I had it done on my underarms maybe six years ago and I really enjoyed it because I didn't have to worry about shaving my underarms every day. I have dark brown hair, so dark um, underarm hair, although red leg hair, which is interesting. But anyway, um <laughs> My mom's are, my sister are redheads, but oh, there you go. There yeah, you. so eventually the hair has started growing back in a little bit, but a lot of it's colorless. It's actually like clear-looking hair. Very interesting. Some of it has its natural pigment back to it, um, but then I could just go get it done again, and it wouldn't work on the hair that no longer has pigment in it. Just like on my face, I have have a little mustache. It happens. I think a lot of people (laughs) can relate to me, Um, but I'm not a good candidate for laser hair removal because my mustache hair is, is white. Um, So it wouldn't work very well um, on, on my mustache. Um, At least that's what the people told me. So, so you're like a, you're like a calico cat. I'm a calico. Yeah. I'm a calico, I guess. Um, And my eyebrows are like black. Uh, which is interesting, but, um, and well, and everyone in my family has different hair color. It's really interesting, but, or not, I don't know. It's just genetics, but anyway, (laughs) uh, so that's how laser hair removal works. It's really efficient and has really long lasting power. If you have the right hair color, hair type, and skin color or a good combination um, of that. Well, this Apple Free is kind of interesting. They position themselves as a, I guess it's a treatment or a serum that is supposed to be a, a natural hair removal when you use it in combination with something else, right? Um, they say it's a natural solution, a scientifically formulated combination of natural and safe synthetic ingredients, no chemicals like... <laughs> Yes, okay. you're using chemicals. Go All right. On. But it says that these no chemicals uh, inhibit and slow the regrowth process of unwanted body hair. And I was looking, I, I didn't see, this is a professional product, so they don't have to disclose ingredients. In the United States and Canada. Right. <laughs> and so they don't. And they just make all these claims about it. But I am unaware of any ingredient, certainly no non-drug ingredient, that stops hair growth. Do you, do you know of any? I don't. And I would wonder how long, let's say it works. I wonder how long yeah. it works because laser hair removal on some of the hair follicles is pretty permanent. And it took years for my underarm hair to grow back in after one series of sessions. So mm. I wonder how long you have to keep applying the serum to hair versus just going and getting laser hair removal, which, you know, with a Groupon wasn't too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, is Groupon even still around? I don't know, but that's how I got my laser hair removal. Well, this Apple Free product says that the serum will kill the hair follicle uh, that those were that were waxed while in the antigen phase, and that means that it's a permanent stop to the hair. You know, so this chemical you're putting mm. on your skin is going to kill the hair follicle. That doesn't sound safe. Yeah, I don't like the word kill with that, especially when the ingredients aren't disclosed. That just makes me a little uncomfortable. Whereas laser, I feel like, feels a little less, I don't know, (laughs) murdery. Well, they do walk back the claim and they say, permanently reduces hair without laser. So reduces, (laughs) uh, okay. Yeah, I would probably say that... The products work are perfectly fine, I'm sure. But if you had to choose between the two and you were a good candidate for laser hair removal, I would just do laser hair removal. Yeah, I think that's going to be more reliable. I didn't see anything in those products and they didn't share enough information that convinced me it was going to work better or even effectively against uh, versus laser hair removal. All right, our next question. 
Our next question comes to us from Jessica. Hello, Valerie and Perry. Thank you for giving me all the knowledge to make wise consumer decisions when it comes to all things beauty products so I don't succumb to all the marketing promises that are never going to come true. Uh, I have a question regarding hair oils that promise growth. Ooh, so in the last question we did no growth and now now we're doing growth. Very fun. Sure. <laughs> all right. So she has a question regarding hair oils that promise growth. The baby hairs around my temple are becoming more sparse and I would like to use a product so it doesn't look like I'm going bald in that one spot by my upper temple. I hear Rogaine mm. works and could use that, but have come acro- across a few hair oils that sound more natural and enjoyable to use if they actually work. Based on the ingredient list, do you think they will work as magically as the before-after pictures they show online? Any guidance would be greatly appreciated. Keep up the great work. We need you. Thank you, Jessica. Well, my guidance is never believe before and after pictures. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so easy to manipulate pictures online that it's just just to be like no data or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about hair oils, before we actually deep dive into the ingredients, is that they do something on the hair and they lubricate the hair shaft. Lubrication of the hair shaft is really important because it helps reduce breakage. And a lot of people, especially if you're, um, you have a weave or you have your hair done really tightly in a ponytail or braids, the hair can break off around your hairline. And what hair oils will do is they'll lubricate the broken hairs or the hairs that you already have there to prevent them from breaking. So that allows them to grow. So the thought is if you can stop the breakage, you stop the notion or the appearance of hair uh, just not being there and it allows the hair to grow back in. So that's what oils can do. I'm not aware of any magical ingredient that you can put in a hair oil that would actually cause hair to grow from the follicle. I think what these oils do very well is just what I mentioned a couple moments ago, lubrication. Right. And no, so the the first part of the answer is no, these oils are not going to work for hair growth as well as Rogaine. That, they just won't. There's Correct. no evidence that that is true. Because Rogaine's working in the follicle and it's a drug and it's actually going yeah. to produce vellus hair on the scalp. These hair oils are not going to do that. They're working on the hair fiber. Exactly. And I do look at some of these. So the first product that she asked about was the Grow Plus Advanced Hair Serum. This is from Vegamore. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the ingredient list, uh, water, butylene, glycol, glycerin, alcohol, and then they have caffeine. And caffeine is fabled as stimulating hair growth, but... There's no evidence that caffeine actually can stimulate. Topically applied caffeine is going to stimulate hair growth, um, and at least no good evidence. And then they have biotin in there, and I know people think biotin can help, but not topical biotin is not going to help. No, and even orally, biotin will only be uh, helpful if you have a biotin deficiency. Exactly. So in looking at the ingredients in here, maybe it's a nice... Well, I mean, it's glycerin and butylene glycol for $68. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's a nice, it's a nice container. So yeah, this is a water-based serum and they actually do use a red clover extract that has some, you know, I'm, you know, stammering a little bit here. Basically it has some data from the supplier that talks about it as being effective for hair regrowth, but a brand can't actually make that claim. You know what ingredients I like the best in there? Yeah. They have the Pratis sprout extract. <laughs> it's a sprout extract because it's going to make sprout. your hair sprout. Oh, okay. no. that's so cute. Um, <laughs> it's not going to really, but I wonder if that was intentional. Like <laughs> that's really good. Um, yeah, but so the vendor will have some data, but that doesn't mean it translates to real life. And this is a water-based serum. So I actually would probably apply that one on the scalp. But the other serum that was mentioned is also a water-based serum uh, with some vitamins. It has some oils in there as well. But um, I-, I would really look for a true oil to put on your hair, like marula yeah. oil or something based on moringa oil, maybe. Those have a lot of oleic acid in them. And oleic acid is very affinitive for hair. Yeah, she asked about oils, and neither one of these are oils. These are water-based things, right? Yeah, very interesting. So the bottom line is, uh, no, they're not going to work as well as Rogaine, and Rogaine might work. Rogaine doesn't work for everybody, but that's your best chance. 
But oils will also work on the hair shaft, just not again to grow hair, but to help your hair from breaking. And I think that might help you, Jessica, on the hairline. Absolutely. All right, Valerie, we have one more uh, audio question. Let's go to that. Ooh. Hello, Beauty Brains. My name is Sarah. I'm a new listener. I downloaded your podcast a while back and just have now gotten around to listening to your episodes. You guys have been both enlightening and sometimes discouraging when I found something, find something I've tried or wanted to try debunked. But my question today is, do you have certain specific brands or products that actually live up to their advertising and that you would recommend uh, in the area of cleanser, moisturizer, and sunscreen is what I'm looking for. I realize everyone's skin is different, but there's just so much information and studies out there for the average non-chemist consumer like me. It can be a, a bit overwhelming and difficult to know what to believe. Yeah, we typically don't recommend brands, and, and mostly because it's it's like a, whether a brand is good or not or works for you, is it's a very personal thing. We can kind of tell whether a brand is going to live up to what they're claiming, but whether you like something or not or it works for your skin, really the only thing you do is try it. Yeah. I mean, there are some brands that I think do a really good job in the claims testing arena. I think anything owned by L'Oreal, for sure, they're going through all the claims testing work because they're under a big magnifying glass. The FTC... Well, they do kind of pretend like they're from France, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You guys have to listen to our last episode to get the joke. But, uh, you know, they, they're under a big microscope and the FTC and yeah. the, the British version, I think that's called the ADA or something like that are really looking at them. And if they say something that's not true, they, they go after them and find them. So I think a company like L'Oreal is doing the due diligence or at least conducting a risk assessment to say, eh, what happens if we get caught saying this, right? right. Um, for sons- And really any big company does that. Unilever, P&G, Estee Lauder, all, all the big guys do. The Really the exaggerated claims that you see the most are from smaller companies who can get away with it without testing because they're smaller companies and there's less scrutiny on the smaller companies in the cosmetic industry. Yeah. So from a personal perspective, I really like sunscreens by La Roche-Posay, Elta MD, Kula. Uh, For me personally, I have dry skin and I I like some of the options that they offer me. Uh, They're really nice and they feel really good. Uh, They don't really bleed into my eyes, um, you know, which is always a huge problem when you're talking about wearing sunscreen on your face. Sure. Uh, there's also one sunscreen by PCA uh, Skincare that I really enjoy as well. Um, and again, well, and you don't want to you don't want to hear my recommendation, which is like banana boat or copper tone or <laughs> in an aerosol <laughs> can, and then he just sprays it over his <laughs> face. Um, but the, personally, those are my recommendations. Um, as far as other brands go, um, again, it's really just a a personal choice. Uh, I really like the brand Rene Rouleau. I've mentioned him a couple times on the podcast, but I like them because they say they have nine different skin types and you can find a product that really fits what you need for your skin and build a whole routine on that. I also do, I think Paula's Choice has great products for the price point. Uh, we'll see how it goes, you know, now that, you know, they're owned by Unicleaver, but, um, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see what changes and what doesn't, but uh, I tend to like, uh, serums and moisturizers from them. Again, uh, probably a price point thing. Uh, a lot of people like the ordinary. Uh, again, that has a good price point. Uh, they're actually using active levels of ingredients, which are found in literature, which I think is really cool about them. And the formulas are so pared down. Uh, there's not a whole lot of bells and whistles in them. You, you literally are just buying the actives that have been um, suspended in a solution. They do have a minimalist philosophy, which I appreciate. Yeah. If you want my simple recommendations, I use a, you know, VO5 shampoo for all my cleansing and, mm-hmm. and body washing needs and, yeah. <laughs> and hair needs. Yeah. I actually do use a conditioner too. So. Yeah. And if we're talking on the mass market level, I actually really like the Aveeno products. They use uh, oh. various O extracts that have a lot of good clinical data behind them. Um, and sure. I haven't met an Aveeno product I've I've hated, and I think they have a great price point if that's more in your price range as well, and you're not shopping in the prestige uh, beauty category. And then another brand I'm really enjoying all around right now, from the cleansers to the moisturizers, is Skin Fix, uh, but it's a little pricey. Um, I'm having Skin a, Fix. Yeah, I've, I've not heard of it. It's just so great for my skin type. Um, I'm dry, and so. 
they have a lot of products. Is that your your skin or your sense of humor? Huh? <laughs> My sense of humor is also very dry, but I get compliments on it. Um, no, Skin Fix, I'm really enjoying that uh, that right now as well. The problem is with recommending these, aside from the fact these are my personal recommendations of things that I'm enjoying, is that there are so many brands out there that make products really well in one category and maybe okay products in another. I had someone on Instagram the other day say, oh, can you recommend a whole brand? I want to use everything in their regimen. Like what company has really good everything, everything, everything. And the answer is probably not really, right? Um, you can't be best to market in everything. And so it's I, th- hard, yeah. I think it's totally fine to kind of mix and match and find uh, what you enjoy. Uh, the other thing is there are so many products out there. I'm not even remembering them right now because my bathroom is, is just, is, is burgeoning with them. And I give them away all the time. I get a lot of products, uh, in the mail and stuff and for work, I have to buy them. So, uh, it's so, so hard, but just keep your eyes posted. And a lot of times, if you even just pop a comment into our Instagram, a lot of our beauty brains fans will provide their recommendations, which is pretty cool. You have a whole community behind behind you to help you find some really great products that maybe you would have never even thought of trying and that we didn't mention because we didn't try them. The best way to find beauty products, I think, is uh, see what other people are using and find a price point that you're comfortable with. Just remember, more expensive doesn't mean better. You can get a lot of great products at uh, Target or Walmart or CVS, that's for sure. Well, our last question is actually about a way to pick products that are similar to other products. Did you plan this? Sh- is this a themed show, Perry, and we didn't know it, or it just like kind of came together? It's, it's almost a theme. This one comes to us from Elizabeth. She says, Hey there, Beauty Reigns. I was wondering if either of you is familiar with Skin School's Skincare Compare Dupe Finder, which purports to be able to find dupes for various skincare products brands using only objective criteria. The site boasts very official-looking percentage match numbers in order to help you compare products to one another, but they, of course, don't seem to be entirely forthcoming about their algorithm. What do you think about the reliability of that site? Love the podcast, Elizabeth. So it is skinschoolbeauty.com. School with a K, not a C-H. School with a K. School with a C-H was probably already taken. (laughs) <laughs> now, there's a lot of these kinds of software algorithms out there. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, I played with this one a bit. I actually, before she had mentioned, I think I stumbled on it, but I hadn't really looked into it too much. And I played w- a bit with comparing products. And so this is some of my thoughts on that. First, they have a lot of products, which is nice. Um, and the algorithm actually does a pretty good job of finding products that have matching ingredients. And so if you look up a product and it has an ingredient list, and then there's another, it'll it'll give a, a score, you know, 95 or, you know, 70 or 60, based on how one of the big criteria is like they compare the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And so if two things had the same ingredient list, they'd essentially get the same score. And so it'd be a 100% match. So if you are using a product and you want to try something similar, if you find something that has like a 90 plus score, that pretty much means that their ingredient lists are very similar. Um, so it's probably if you want to look if you want to find a dupe like a less expensive dupe which is kind of seems to be the whole purpose of the site uh, finding something that has a 90 plus score is probably going to get you pretty close with the ingredient list anyway but i'm going to say that with a few caveats <laughs> i have All a right? few caveats as well <laughs> right well the first one that i have is you know just having the same ingredients doesn't tell you that much about a product and it certainly doesn't tell you whether you're going to get the same results or even you're going to feel like you had the same experience there are a number of reasons but the way a product works and the way it feels is really not always dependent on just the ingredients but also on the manufacturing method right Mm -hmm. you know think of it like this if uh you ever watch that show uh beat bobby flay yeah it's a cooking show right yeah so if you gave bobby flay and me, the same cooking ingredients. Well, I'd pick Perry hands think, down. Right. Said nobody. You think, 
I mean, it's like we're not going to make the same dish, right? <laughs> but we have the same ingredients. So just because you have the same ingredients doesn't mean that the products are even going to be the same. There could be significant difference. And so how you make things um, and how much you use, that matters. And the dupe finder does not take this into account. It also doesn't take into consideration grades of materials, not all Behintrimonium chloride or sodium lauryl sulfate or dimethicone uh, are the same materials. Uh, sometimes you can have nuances within these materials based on right. you know what stenostoke they are or what how much ethoxylation they have uh, to to, lead, to give a very different performing shampoo. What I really like this website for is not to find a dupe because I actually have formulated a couple products that I know are literally very similar, um, maybe different <laughs> right, yeah. fragrance. And I've also formulated products that are not similar and it's not bringing up the products that are similar and it's bringing up products that I know are completely a different experience when you use them. So I yeah. don't like it for that, but what I do like it for is just all of the brands that they have. They seem to have oh, everything. Yeah. And and I'm looking here and scrolling through and saying, wow, that product looks really cool. Oh, wow. You know what? I did want to try that. Oh, wow. I haven't thought of trying this one or, oh, who's that brand? So I think it's a really cool way to get exposure to other brands that that I would have never considered trying before because the market is just so saturated. Yeah, I think that's the main reason they make the site because they make affiliate commissions off of whether you see a thing there and you buy it. And, and so that's cool. Oh, yeah, because it has the buy now link. I, exactly. Yep, use that's of our a, retailer that's, that's, links is governed a, by our terms. It makes sense. Go. They got to finance the website somehow. Uh, you, you do. I mean, it probably took them a lot of work to get this. But as far as finding dupes go, the other thing that the dupe finder doesn't take into account is the halo effect. And this is the effect that expensive brands really rely on to make people think that their products are better. Uh Um, The halo effect is this uh, phenomena where your your senses are influenced by your opinions or your thoughts about a brand. Now, there was a test of wines, uh, the, the famous test for halo effect. There's a test of wines where they took exactly the same red wine, right? The same, same product, same batch, and they put it in three different bottles. Uh One was... And one was having a label, and it said it was like a hundred dollar a bottle wine. And then the other one had a label where it's it was you know sort of a cheap looking label, and it said it was like a five dollar wine. And they had these experts do a taste test on these things, and you know what they found? The wine in the more expensive bottle tasted better, even though it was exactly the same wine. Wow. <laughs> so. so and that is the halo effect. So your impression about how a product works, pricing is a huge part of that, even if it's the, exactly the same thing. This happened to me all the time. When we were doing consumer tests of uh, different shampoos, I would give the same formula. We'd just try a different fragrance, and we get vastly different uh, scores. <laughs> like not, not even on like, oh, it smelled better. They say, yeah, it smelled better. But also, oh, it wasn't thick enough. Oh, it didn't foam enough. Even though I know the foaming and the thickness were exactly the same. So, you, you know, that is the halo effect. That happened to a little bit to me. Uh, someone was telling me at uh, a, a place I worked and had formulated some products that they loved one shampoo and hated this other shampoo. And I kept telling this person, they're literally the same shampoo, different fragrance. (laughs) And they kept saying, no, they're not. And I'm like, I, I'm the chemist. I know what goes in them. And I'm, I'm promising you they're literally the exact same ingredients. So they kept saying, no, they're different. And I was like, okay, I'm just lying to you. Um, but it's, it's really powerful. What, what that, what branding and marketing, um, and, and the whole experience can do. I mean, I think the. I mean, if you think about somebody goes and buys Suave, it, you're just not going to believe that that's as good as something like Biolage, which is a lot more expensive, right? Even They could be exactly the same, but if they just have the same different bottles, you're just not going to believe it. Exactly. But I think the biggest problem uh, is it's pretty rare that you find a product on the market that is exactly the same as another. So... You know, maybe if they use the same contract manufacturer, they might be the same. But 
most formulas are unique and it's really your experience with the formula it's just heavily dependent on like really minor things like especially fragrances and as we said you know you change a fragrance you think the product is different and so the dupe finder is not going to be particularly helpful for something like that and just one other thing i noticed some of the ingredient labels are not exactly accurate Uh, and this is probably just some data entry problem yeah no there were some there was one thing i was comparing and it was like i've never seen that inci name of an ingredient yeah and it was clearly just some sort of typo so the data i'm sure they try to be as accurate as they can but they they aren't accurate and then one other thing is that companies will change formulas but they'll still have out on the market like an old formula. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, like that Olaplex one, right? <laughs> like Olaplex is going to have like two out there. And so what is the skin school thing going to going to show you? Basically, it's the site is not going to be 100% reliable. But but overall, you know, maybe it's helpful to give you an idea about what products that you might want to try. For sure. Uh, I I see a bit of it like uh Goodreads, right? You know, they give you a book suggestion <laughs> And maybe it's based on what you've read before, and and maybe you like it, you know, maybe you're not. It might be a good suggestion. I I don't know. So, why we like products really boils down to things that I think you can't calculate in an algorithm. I think that's actually a really great idea for Skin School, Perry. It reminds me of this website called Makeup Alley that I'm not sure if it's around anymore, but you oh, could. Oh sure, you, Makeup Alley. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, I used to love those entries and participate in them. Uh, but it would be cool if they did a Goodreads type fashion where it's like, hey, here's what products I'm using right now and loving. And then you can see what other products may be compared to it uh, based on their algorithm. Uh, but that would be that would be kind of neat, wouldn't it? Well, Goodreads for beauty products. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't don't steal that idea, universe. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, go we're ahead. giving it to Skin School for free because we like the layout of their website. Wow, do you hear that music? That's all the time we have, everyone. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon, and you heard today a couple of patrons got their questions answered because we prioritize patron questions. And if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. And we thank all of our, you know, I think we're almost up to 150 patrons. And yeah, we we have to do a special thing for our patrons soon. We definitely do. Uh, If you get a chance, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show and leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the podcast and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. We're looking for some more audio questions, so you can get yours in now. You'll get on the show soon. Yeah, I keep telling Mr. Cosmetic Chemist he needs to put in an audio question. (laughs) Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page. And an upcoming TikTok someday. (laughs) Futuristic. Sure. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens.